This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son who was born that we might have life. Through Christ, we have life, abundant life, eternal life. We have light. And so we pray that your, your Holy Spirit would give light today, that you would illumine our minds and our hearts. There are ways that you want to deal with each one of us today through your word. You know the needs in our lives. You, you know the breakthroughs that need to happen. You know the burdens that need to be lifted. You know the challenges that we face. You, you, you know the comfort that needs to be extended. You, you are able to give that light and to just take your word and, 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 and do miracles in our lives. And so, Lord, these are, these are crucial moments as we dig into your word today. And we pray that you would use it to speak. Speak to your people. Speak to each one of us right at the point of our deepest need. And we lift this time to you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. So growing up as a little kid in the 1970s, um, life was different. We, we did not have uh, video games at that point. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't car carrying around uh, smart smartphones. Uh, we didn't even have dumb phones at that point, at least not, not on our person. The phone was the one that was connected in your parents' house. And sometimes you would stick your index finger into a circle and you would go like that, right, to dial numbers. And so there, there wasn't as much to do inside. And so me and my friends spent a lot of time in the neighborhood outside. And so when my mom wanted to, to call me home, you know, my mom's very ladylike. She wasn't going to be out there hollering for me to come home, you know, uh, to, for dinner. Uh, and so the way that she would, she would call me home was that she would ring a, a bell. That was my cue to, to come home. Well, imagine if my little mom had had one of these babies to call me home, right? This is the trumpet of ancient Israel. It was given to, be, to me by a, a messianic a follower of, of Christ, a Jewish follower of, of Jesus. This was, this was like a trumpet in ancient Israel, the shofar, the ram's horn. And so it was a call to God's people. Now, in our psalm today, we're going to see something about the shofar, 
something about the, the, the ram's horn because Psalm 81 is a call to come home. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 81 this morning. We're in the midst of a series about, called Home for Christmas. So we're talking this Advent season about, about coming home to God. We're looking at different psalms with the theme of coming home. And Psalm 81 is a call to come home to him. Let's check it out. Psalm 81, if you would find that in your copy of God's word, and let's read it. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song. Play the tambourine, the melodious lyre, and the harp. Blow the ram's horn on the day of our feast, during the new moon and during the full moon. For this is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He set it up as a decree for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard an unfamiliar language. I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from carrying the basket. You called out in distress and I rescued you. I answered you from the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you, Israel, if you would only listen to me. There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their, their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cower to him. Their doom would last forever, but he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. So what do we see here in this great Psalm about, about coming home to God, about the call to come home? The first thing that God says to us here is to rejoice regularly. Rejoice regularly. Look, out, look at verses one through three. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song, play the tambourine, the melodious lyre and the harp. Blow the ram's horn, the shofar, on the day of our feast, during the new moon and during the full moon. So the, the verbs here in this uh, in verses one through three, are, are all about, you know, loud, exuberant, enthusiastic praise, right? Sing for joy, shout in triumph, lift up a song, blow the ram's horn. Um, this is just in, a joyous praise to to God, you know, this is still like a, a feature in Jewish worship. It's been interesting in, in visiting Israel. 
uh, often at, at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you see, you'll see groups of people that are just praising, you know, dancing uh, ex- exuberantly. I, I saw, I've seen videos of, of these Israeli soldiers that are getting ready to go into battle in Gaza and they're just, they're dancing, they're praising God, they're singing psalms in and, 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 and many cases. And speaking of which, we need to pray for these soldiers. Pray for these Israeli soldiers that are, that are going into, into battle. This is a just war that they are, that they are fighting. Romans 13 tells us that, that God has ordained uh, that, 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 that nations have a military, that they have police forces, those who bear the sword. Romans 13 says they do not bear the sword in vain. And in a fallen world like the one that we live in, it is necessary that, that nations have those who bear the sword. Why? Romans 13 tells us that as well. It's to protect the innocent and it is to punish those who prey upon the innocent. And so Israel is, is fighting, if there was ever a just war, right? It is, it is this one that they are, 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 are fighting against terrorism and they are fighting not just for their own uh, citizens, they're, they're fighting ultimately for us too because we have seen that the satanic ideology that is behind Hamas, it's the same one that was behind Al-Qaeda, ISIS. The goal is not just to take over Israel, it's to take over the, the, the world. And so if, if Israel does not prevail in this fight, if Hamas is still standing at the end of it, it's not just Israeli citizens that are endangered, right? It's, it's gonna be free people all over the world. So we, we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for Jewish people all over the world who are being attacked now. But not only that, we need to pray for our own country. <laughs> because, you know, what, we have, what this has revealed in our country is profound moral confusion and chaos. And we, we saw within 24 hours of Israel being attacked on October 7th. There were people on the streets of America and cities of Western Europe, people on college campuses in America within, before Israel ever even had a chance to respond militarily. There were people who were shouting and vilifying, not the attackers, who committed some of the worst atrocities that human beings could possibly perpetrate on other human beings. They were vilifying not the attackers who did those things, they were vilifying the people who were attacked. Now that is sick. That indicates a profound moral sickness and confusion in our culture and a deep hatred of the Jewish people from whom our Lord and Savior was born. 
So we need to be in prayer about all of these things. But I want us to think more about this, about this worship that's going on here in, in verses one through three, this exuberant, enthusiastic worship of God. Jim Shaddix says this, the atmosphere described here would characterize the arrival of a king or the celebration of a victory. Now, what is our Christmas praise all about? What's Advent all about? Advent means coming. Our king has come. He came to die for sinners like us. He is risen victoriously from the dead. He has conquered sin and death. So what are we celebrating? The arrival of the king and the celebration of a victory. And so we should do that with joy. Today is the Sunday of joy. When Amy lit the candle this morning, you notice that the candle that she lit is a different color than the, than the other ones. It's pink. And what that means, it's, it, the, it stands out, right? That it's a different color. It stands out from the others. And what that communicates is that joy bursts forth. It bursts forth. And so our praise should be like that. Our praise of God should be wholehearted, bursting forth because God is, is worthy of that. And you know, you may say, well, you know, I'm not much of a singer. You know what? Um, <laughs> in verse one, where it says, shout in triumph, that's, that's the phrase where the old King James translates it as, as make a joyful noise. God's way more concerned about our enthusiasm in worship than he is about our singing ability in worship, right? He deserves, our Lord and Savior deserves our enthusiastic, loud praise. And we're to do that not only enthusiastically, but regularly. So look at verse three again. He says, blow the ram's horn on the day of our feast during the new moon and during the full moon. God was telling them like, you are to do this on a regular basis. He's even telling them the times that they are to do it. God's given us a time to praise him as, as well. He says you were to do it weekly on the Lord's day, on resurrection day. We gather together to praise the Lord and we need that. We so desperately need that. You know, we're out there in the world uh, throughout the week and you know, all the stuff that's happening and you know, and we've, got all, we've all got challenges and you know, sometimes uh, beat up and all kinds of stuff. We come together on the Lord's day to praise him because we see that God is bigger than any of our problems, any of our challenges. And we get together with brothers and sisters in Christ every week to orient our lives to God, to catch a fresh vision of God and to be equipped by his word. Friends, we need that. We need that weekly, right? So rejoice regularly. All right, second, 
remember intentionally. Remember intentionally. Let's look at verse four in the beginning of verse five. For this is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He set it up as a decree for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. Now what happened to God's people in Egypt? They were enslaved and they were delivered. How did that happen? God told them to, to kill a lamb, to take the blood of this unblemished uh, lamb and put it uh, on the sides and above the, the, the doorways that the death angel would pass over them. And then they were able to, 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 to leave Egypt in the Exodus. And what happened? God parted the waters of the Red Sea so that his people could cross on dry ground with the water surrounding them. And they were on their way to the promised land, right? Now, what's our story as followers of Christ? We were enslaved to sin and death and God delivered us. How? Through the blood of Christ. First Peter 1 and verses 18 and 19 says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. So we were delivered by the blood of the lamb and as new believers, right, we pass through the waters. We pass through the waters of baptism and now we are pilgrims on our way to the promised land. So that's, that's our story as well. And just as God told his people in the Old Testament to remember their identity by going back to the Exodus experience again and again and again, we are to continually go back to the gospel again and again and again. We never outgrow the gospel. This is why you hear the gospel every single Sunday. We never get beyond the gospel. We need to go back and remember the gospel over and over and over again. We do that through his word. We do that through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We'll do it on this coming Christmas Eve and candlelight communion, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember intentionally. Third, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Now let's look at the last part here of verse five. I heard an unfamiliar language or an unknown voice. What's this about? This is, this is mind blowing. I, I learned things this week. I love, I love Psalm 81. I saw things this week I'd never seen before. This is wild. I heard an unfamiliar language. 
Now, you know, when I first read that, I'm thinking, you know, he's just been talking about Egypt. Maybe he's talking about, you know, God's people hearing an unfamiliar, you know, language when they were in Egypt. But no, it's not that. It's not that. The unknown voice, the unfamiliar language, it's the voice of God. He's talking about God and and his language was unfamiliar, not because he was speaking a language that they didn't understand. No, it was unfamiliar because God is so holy and majestic and other. That's what's being communicated here. Old Testament scholar Trimper Longman says this, that God's voice was at first unknown to the psalmist emphasizes God's otherness and transcendence. It's kind of like in Job, you know, like in Job for 37 chapters, it's lots of, it's people talking. All Job's friends are weighing in and everybody's talking, everybody's giving their opinion about why this has happened. You know, it's it's human beings, talk, 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 talk. But then in chapters 38 and 39, God steps in, God starts talking. (laughs) And after God talks, at the beginning of chapter 40, What does Job say in Job 40 in verse four? I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I got nothing else to say. And from this point on in Psalm 81, God's doing the talking. God's the speaker here for the remainder of the psalm. What does he say to us? Verse six, I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from carrying the basket. This is again talking about Israel's experience of slavery in Egypt and God is saying, I gave you relief. The Pharaoh said, you know, make bricks without straw. You know, I gave gave you relief from that, that burden that you were carrying from that heavy, that heavy burden. Jesus extends this invitation to you and me. He says in Matthew 11 and verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And maybe this Advent season, you find yourself weary and burdened. Jesus' invitation is for you. He says, come to me, come home to me, where you'll find your rest. Look at verse seven. God says, you called out in distress and I rescued you. When God's people were enslaved, they they cried out to God. Exodus two tells us about this. So after a long time, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and God knew. 
And God knows you as well. He knows you. He knows what's happening in your life better than you even know it or understand it yourself. Cry out to him. Come home to him. He knows you. He loves you. He hears you. Let's keep walking through verse seven here. He says, I answered you from the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. What happened at Mirabah? That was where God provided his people with water from the rock. Water from the rock. I want you to just hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Verse eight. He says, listen, my people. And I will admonish you, Israel, if you would only listen to me, listen, hear. This is a key word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is Shema. And it means more than just information entering through your ears into your brain. (laughs) Because In the Old Testament, to listen is also to respond. (laughs) Listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. And so to truly hear God, to truly listen, is to respond in trust and obedience And God says, here's the first thing that I want you to hear. The first thing I want you to hear is the first commandment. Verse nine, there must not be a strange God among you. That's the first of the 10 commandments. But what has God's people done? What were they doing at the very time when Moses went up on the mountain to get the 10 commandments? They were down there making a golden calf to worship. You know, Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. You know, in our, in our fallenness, we're, just, we're continually kind of producing things that usurp the rightful place of God in our lives. And so continually, part of, part of walking with Christ is playing whack-a-mole with idols, right? You know, the, the kids game, used to take our kids to the arcade, and they would play whack-a-mole. I'd play whack-a-mole with them, you know, and you're over there and these little, these little things keep popping up and you gotta bat them back down. That's the way we have to do with idols, continually. Because our hearts are idol factories, continually just manufacturing things that, that get in the way of, of our relationship with God, that seek to usurp the rightful place of God in our lives. Idols. We're called to be idol smashers. Verse 10. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We think these things, these worldly things, these idols that we manufacture are gonna satisfy us. They don't, they never do. We think that sin is gonna satisfy us. It never does. Let me tell you something. Sin always hides the price tag. And it'll never satisfy. 
Only Jesus can. He says in John 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Come home to him. And that's the fourth thing that we see here. Come home to God. Come home to God. Let's look at verse 11. God says, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. Now, originally, Psalm 81 was something that was, that was celebrated at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the language here in verses one through three, it's talking there about the, the Feast of Tabernacles where, where the pilgrims would come to Jerusalem and you know, they'd, they'd build these, uh, these shelters and everything. What they were remembering was God's faithfulness to them when they were wandering in the wilderness. But what in the world were they doing wandering in the wilderness to begin with? It was because again, of a lack of trust in God, disobedience to God. They got to the edge of the promised land and God said, I want you to send spies, 12 spies in, not to determine whether or not you're gonna take the land, (laughs) but just to scout it out, you know, and see what was there, right? And so they came back and they said, oh yeah, it's incredible. It's a land flowing with milk and honey but all except for two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, we can't take that land. Oh, people are giants, the cities are fortified. Yeah, we can't do that. We need to go back to Egypt. We didn't have it so bad in Egypt. <laughs> See, that's the irrationality of sin, telling you to go back, go back to slavery. Sin always hides a price tag. It, seeks, it, it promises freedom, it delivers slavery. And so God said, you want the wilderness? You'll get the wilderness. And so they wandered there for 40 years. Verse 12, God says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. Now this is super scary. What this is saying is that, you know, if we, say to, if we say long enough, if we put God off long enough and say, I want it my way, then God eventually will say, okay, have it your way. That's a whopper you don't want. <laughs> That's scary. And maybe you would say, That's me. I, I, you know, I've gone so far in the other direction. I've put God off so much. God doesn't need, God's not even listening to me anymore. God doesn't care about any, me anymore. I, I've gone so far, I'm beyond any redemption that he can offer. No, you're not. You know why I know that? Because you're here. <laughs> God has put you here right now or watching a live stream or down the road watching a video or whatever. God has put you within the hearing of this right now. That in itself shows that God has not given up on you. But friend, you need to listen to him right now. Come home, come home, repent, turn. Come home to God. 
and you have no idea what he would do for you if you would come home to him, if you would listen to him and come home to him. Look at verses 13 through 15. He says, if only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cower to him. Their doom would last forever. God is like, you have no idea what I would do for you if you would simply listen and trust and obey. Just simply walk with me. Those enemies that you're worried about, right, the stuff that you're worried about today, the stuff that you fear in your life today, God could take care of it with his little pinky. God says, I would protect you. And I would provide for you. That's what verse 16 is all about. But he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. Now remember verse seven, water from the rock. But you know what? God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. God says, I'll not only provide you with water from the rock, I would feed you with honey from the rock. But you gotta taste it. You gotta taste it. You know, I could, I could try to describe to you the taste of honey, but the words aren't gonna do it. You gotta taste it to see what it tastes like. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Come home to him today. Let's pray together. Perhaps you're here today not certain that you have a relationship with God. Let me tell you how you can have that. God gave his son, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. God gave his son to live a perfect life, a life that we could never live as sinners. And on the cross, he died for sinners like you and me. And he was raised from the dead raised from the dead, that we might have life, abundant life, eternal life. He has triumphed over sin and death. He is reigning now as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is returning in victory. On that day when he returns, or that day when you go to meet him, do you know him? Is Christ your king? Is he your savior, your Lord? Friend, turn to him now. Repent of trying to do life your own way apart from him. Turn to Jesus, trust him, receive him, welcome him as your Lord and King into your life. Let him take control. Christian, What is God saying to you today about coming home to him? How is your walk with the Lord? Have you been wandering from home? Come home. Come home. 
Come home to the only one who can satisfy. Come home to the only one who can truly give you rest. Come home to the only one who can truly protect you and provide for you. Come home to him today. And so, Lord, you're calling us home. Help us to truly listen to that call. It doesn't mean information just going into our head and one side and out the other. No, to truly listen to you means to respond to you. It means to trust you. It means to obey you. Lord, help us to truly listen to you today and hear your call to come home. invite you to stand together right here. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 